The Jesus Christ spoken of in the Bible, is this the Jesus Christ that we to look for in the end of the world, the one that's coming back? First of all, let's establish the word Christ. We have to start saying Messiah. You have a Bible with you? No, I don't. It's important when you come, you bring your tools. <laughs> If you open the Bible to St. John's chapter 1, verse 41, he first finds his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted Christ. You see that? Yes. Now what did that mean? That means that these people who were Jesus' disciples, and Christians use this chapter to death. They use this St. John chapter 1 to death. That Jesus' own disciples knew that he should have been called the Messiah and not Christos from the Latin. You follow? So now, yes, yes is the answer to your question, and no. Revelation... <laughs> One tells us that the Jesus that they're expecting to come will be like him, not him. Revelations chapter 1 reads, The revelations of Jesus the Messiah, and as you see they have Christ, which the Creator, which they have as God, gave unto him 
gave unto who? To Jesus. Right? That's right. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now the first point is that with this teaching, Jesus is talking about his servants. Jesus told a woman in Matthew 15, the story when Jesus is dealing with the Canaanite woman, he told her he was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. So his servants would have to be the tribe of Judah, the lost sheep. But he was talking to all the rest of them. You see? Now, to show unto his servants which must shortly come to pass. Which means there's going to be a future tense here. Things that did not happen during his life, but things that was going to happen in the future. Now here's the catch. And he did what? He sent it and signified it by his, who? His angel unto his servant John. Right? All right, brother. <laughs> so what happened here, and Christians tend to overlook, is that the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, which the Lord gave unto him for his servant, Jesus sent it, signifying it with an angel unto John. This angel that Jesus sent it, signifying it by, was none other than the angel Michael, who has the power throughout the book of Revelations, like if you go to Revelation chapter 12, he has the power to defeat Satan. Chapter 12, 7 of Revelation, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. You see that? Yes, I see it. And the dragon fought and his angels. So here we have Michael and some angels of his who are fighting against this dragon and his angels. Who is the dragon and who are his angels? Well, 8 says, And prevail not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So that means that these dragons and his angels was cast out of heaven at this point. And the great dragon was cast out. That old what? Serpent. Called the devil. And Satan was deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. You see that? Yes, I see it. So Michael was an angel who was back there in the beginning. However, when these people deal with St. John chapter 1, now we go back to St. John chapter 1, and start from the beginning, we're going to see this beginning story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Creator, and the Word was the Creator. The same was in the beginning with the Creator. <laughs> you see? The angel Michael was back there in the beginning, and where the angels of Michael was the angel Gabriel, who was also back there in the beginning, who fought against 
Lucifer and his fallen angels. And the angel Gabriel was the angel sent to Mary to tell her that she was going to conceive of the Holy Ghost, which would be Jesus, the Messiah. What people are looking for in the return of Jesus is the return of is Jesus sending forth an angel in his likeness. And people will mistake the angel for Jesus. You follow that? Yes, I do, brother. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Uh, I'm somewhat confused, but this is Exodus I'm looking at, and there's a conversation between the Lord and Moses. Where are we at in Exodus? I'm in um, Exodus, I mean, yes, Exodus 3, the 13th verse. There's a long conversation between Moses and the Lord. It's God, the Lord. The 13th says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. I better let that go at that. Like I said, I'm a little confused. Well, well, tell me what confuses you. Pardon me? What part of it is confusing you? Well, I'm not a scholar in... Uh, in the scripture yeah, I understand. or in religion. Yes. So I just thought that I would uh, ask the question since you spoke of Minister Farrakhan and and he said that God, the original man is the black man, so that would mean that the black man is God and when I look in um in the Bible I've searched God just about all my life, whether he was uh black, Caucasian or whatever. So the question is, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, right, when I come unto the children of Israel, yes. and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Yes, correct. All right, what is the question? And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me. All right. So now, the God who said back then to Moses was a man. Am I right? No. The Lord no. who was speaking this was not a man. No. Okay, so maybe... You know how you could, find out? Okay, maybe you could explain. <laughs> yeah, go back, to the, go back to the beginning of Exodus 3. Okay. You see the beginning of Exodus 3? Where are you? Exodus, Exodus 3. Now Moses. You? now Moses. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro. Yes. His father-in-law. This was in the land of Midian, right? Yes. And the priest of Midian. And he led his flock where? to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even in Horeb. Right. Is that Horeb? Is that a... Uh, that's a place. That's a place? That's, where, a, that's a specific spot on a mountain where Moses received revelation. Where is that? It's in Sinai. But let's go on so we can hear what happens. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. Now, who appeared to Moses? According to the angel of the Lord, sir. That's right. And the angel of the Lord was speaking out of the burning bush. The prayer I'm trying to make it many times in the scriptures, when it speaks of the Creator doing a specific thing, it always, the people who just read, shows you that the angels of Him are doing, the malaik of Allah Ta'ala does His work. Right, and they were men. And they can personify as men, okay. certain ones. But they are angelic beings, malaik. They have the power, if the law grants, to personify as human beings. They are what you refer to when they get into the earth, Earth's atmosphere as extraterrestrials. Yes, sir. You understand? Yes, sir. They reside in various pockets of the universe. They, they come from what's called the Crystal City, which goes into a deeper thing. All right? So in this quote in the Bible, when it's talking to Moses, speaking with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's through his angel, either Mikael or Jibrael. In this case, it's Jibrael. Those are the most powerful angels. The highest of all of the angelic beings from Malakut is Mikael. Because Mikael, like in, means like El, and that's from Elohim or, Elohim or Allah. He's like Allah insofar as he has the power to sustain himself on earth. He came to Abraham he, in the Torah, in, in Genesis. He came to Jesus. He came to Moses. He came to Muhammad. He came as Hidr in the Holy Quran. He has Mikhail, and he's called Melchizedek, or El Khidr, Michael, okay? And then he has an intergalactical name, and his intergalactical name is Yanun. Every one of the prophets, when they are out of the physical and into the spiritual realm has an intergalactical name. Esau's name is Sananda when he's out of this. You understand? Yes, my Lord. So we're talking about angels who, are, who can personify in human beings as human beings and speak in representation of the creator of the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? I hope, yes, I, I hope you understand this. Thank you. Thank I, you for the clarification. Mm -hmm. Assalamu alaikum. Imam, did you meet Melchizedek at the junction of the two nouns, like the Madi? At the time when I was being brought to the consciousness of who and what I am, I met him at Tuti. Not knowing at the time who he was, I just thought he was an old man. And he told me at, that this thing, and whatever I, what, he said, if you'll have the two of answers, think, and I'll be there. I never knew at the time he meant that he was going to be in me moving outward. I thought he meant that if you need me, contact me. Just like you would. If you need me, contact me, and I'll let you know. I didn't know that young in my life who or what I am. It took me until I was 40 years old to realize that I was speaking to a reflection of myself. I had no idea. Thank you. What? Um, what purpose is the sacred ash serve in paradise? The sacred ash serves no purpose in what you know as paradise. But in the, in the celestial or crystal city, there is incense that burns. And the ash from the incense can be transported down to earth plane as a sign this person is in tune with that higher city. There's a city above the earth. 
are called the Crystal City, which sometimes is mistaken for the mothership. The mothership or the ship that has the little ships in it come out of the Crystal City. Crystal City is right above the earth and has been there for centuries. And it's a whole city. You call it the city of Jerusalem when you say it's going to come down out of heaven, etc. So it's incense burning there, material incense as you know it. Alright? And ashes from that incense is the, what comes down as what you call the sacred ash. Okay? Yes. I have one question here. What kind of battle will take place with Michael and Satan? And where will it take place? Question is, what kind of battle won't take place with yes. Mikael and Shaitan? Or yes. which kind did take place? Because remember, they had a battle already in the heavens, in Malakut. And he was cast down. Okay? Well, the question is, what kind of battle will take place? In the latter day. Yes. And this is understood that you have read throughout your scripture that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking you to get not less than and not more than 144,000 mu'minun wa mu'minati to be ready to be taken up in an isra like Rasulullah was, to be taken out of here before this, the four winds of the earth are let loose for destruction on the planet earth because shaitan is getting a grip of the planet. He's asking for not more than and not less than 144,000 that will be taken up, taken up, it says in the scripture, literally, taken up and taken to the crystal city, Alurat, taken right to the Medina, and there they'll stay for a thousand years and be groomed by the elders. Shaitan and his wicked angels, the cherubim, are going to try to come into that city to destroy that city and those special people taken from earth to be gowned in white, him and his cherubim are going to try to take the city of the seraphim. You understand? Yeah. But they will be trapped. They will be baited like the story of Job. And then he will be cast into the earth because you have a central city in the center of your earth. I know this sounds crazy, but it's true. You have a central sun. There's a city in the center of the earth called Agrita. And the capital of the city is called Shambhala. And the temple where it keeps Satan trapped with that hexagram is called Wahala. He likes Muslims to rise a pentagram, which is a five-pointed star. But he can be trapped in the hexagram. In the six-pointed star, you can trap Satan. He'll be kept in that city. For a period of time, the so-called meridian, as they call it, the thousand-year period, that that 144,000 will be kept in the celestial crystal city to be groomed to get their godlike or divine qualities back in them before they descend back to earth with the Lamb, which will be the angel Michael who will bring them back to earth. You see, Shaitan, like it mentioned in Revelation, is going to try to get up to that new city of peace and try to destroy that abode. That abode is called Darul Islam in the Quran. The abode of peace. It's not on earth. And in it are angels, they say in the Quran. Hawriya. Those are seraphim. And the masters, the awalina, the Quran says, the ancient ones, they are there to teach and try to get you prepared to come back in because you have to wipe away this earth and wipe away this heaven and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. So the battle will be fought because Satan is going to try
to invade that very city, the crystal city, but shall be cast into the pit of the earth and down into the center of the planet. Like I said, there's a city. Inhabitants of the city are from Mool and Maria, they're from Atlantis, they're from the Mayan people, different people where, who were taught by extraterrestrials or angelic beings and were taken into these cities. And they're there now, and the devil knows about it. And they would not even be on earth had it not been for 1945 when you people dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and it frightened the Galactical Brothers. Because you almost cracked the earth. So the elders had a meeting and came to the surface. You call them angels. How much you feel like. Came to the surface and said, we got to prevent the serpent seed. We call him the serpent person. The serpent and his seed from destroying you before you are ready. Before you are prepared. Before you are transformed back into a spiritual being. We got to stop him from destroying. The other night when they saw that green light, and he said it was, he, it was a meteorite. Nobody yet, I think it was a meteorite. It wasn't a meteorite. I told y'all the ships are coming. I told you they're here. He didn't say it was a meteorite. There's no such thing as a green meteorite. Go back and study astronomy and show me somewhere where he told you about a green meteorite. He told you about pink stars, blue stars, and white stars. He never spoke about no green star. Or no green meteorite. And what kind of gas burns green? They burn blue, they burn yellow, they burn amber, but not green. Somebody's lying. So the battle that you spoke about between the elders is between those being prepared, the seraphim, under Mikhail, to suppress the cherubim, which is the 200 fallen angels, and you people on earth who are left behind because you don't come in and get prepared to make the transition from this state to the sacred city, you're going to be the playground of the devil. Do you know that the planet earth used to be a hunting ground? That the, the cherubim used to come here and hunt prehistoric animals to laser lights and kill them just for the fun of it? You have not only positive angelic beings visiting the planet, oddity. Your galaxy is called Terra. It's called Terra. All right? That's the galaxy you're in. You're on what's called Zorokaya. Zorokaya is the name of your planet. All right? You have extraterrestrials. They become extra when they get inside here. Visiting you, all of them are not positive. Some of them are called jinn. From the Ifrit mentioned in the Quran, Solomon had big battles with these jinns who would come in and land here, and they infiltrate man and corrupt the world. They mutilate animals. They come down and they mutilate animals. They hunt for the fun of it. They make themselves seen as UFOs, and they hunt. They take people up. They abuse people. And then there are other galactical beings who are fighting against them, trying to get you people prepared, but you keep rejecting. You want all this fiction religion. You want to believe that Muhammad came with this new type of religion. When Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in contact with extraterrestrials, when the angel Jibra'el, salam alaykum wa rahmatullah, came to the Prophet Muhammad in the cave, he came as light, he came as an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian being, and he came to Rasulullah Muhammad as light, and told Muhammad that man has fell away from the most important commandment. Who created him? And when? 
So he told Muhammad, you better go back and ikra. Ikra bismillah. Go back and read in the name of the very creator. You follow? But man refuses. Man rejects. He's been tempted by the devil. And the devil and his seed is here, like I explained earlier. And man loves him. And like it says in the Bible in Revelation, he wants to even live in the image of the beast. I would like to know, why was um, the devil sent to another planet? Well, two questions. Why was the devil sent to another planet? And also, why is, why is he captured? Why do they have to catch him and take him to Shambhala and bound him for a thousand years instead of just destroying him? Because energy cannot be destroyed. You can only alter its appearance. And what a lot of human beings don't realize is that what they call the devil was once an angel, Malak. And he was created of Nair, or a poisonous type of fire. It's not the same fire as you find on earth, but it's, for lack of a better word, that's all they can use. And you cannot destroy energy. You can only alter its appearance. Or you can refrain it. You can discipline it. You can confine it. Or you can channel it. Now, nowhere has it been said that he was sent to another planet. It was said that he has left this planet and has gone on to another planet. It has not been sent. You don't send the devil anywhere. You have to trap him. And he's trapped by what's called the hexagon, mm -hmm. which is the symbol of the six-pointed star. Muslims all over the world, well, I shouldn't say that because most Muslims out of America don't use it. Mainly you find American Muslims who use a five-pointed star and crescent. Don't realize that it's a symbol of the devil. They think that the five-pointed star and crescent is a symbol of Islam because Elijah Muhammad or because Noble Juali or because some other brother told him that and those brothers were misinformed about the symbol of Al-Islam which is confirmed by the fact that in Holy Quran it tells us that all of the prophets of Allah were from Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on back to Isa Al-Masiyah, Jesus the Messiah on back to Moses and all the way back to Abraham, all were of one text, one scripture, be it a suhuf or a hikmah or Torah or Zubur or Injil or Al-Quran. They are all one scripture from one sustainer of all the boundless universes who is Allah Ta'ala. You understand? Yes. There with then Daud, David, who received the Psalms, was a Muslim, as the Quran confirms. You follow? Yes. And the five-pointed star is not identified with any of the prophets of Allah in any of the scriptures, including the Holy Quran. There's no mention of a use of a five-pointed star by Muslims. However, it is understood through the Torah and mentioned the utilization of the six-pointed star, the hexagram, that Solomon used to trap the jinn the Quran speaks of. You see? So he built his empire on a pentagram. Or when he takes a country, he puts a new 
five-pointed star on his flag. The eye you see on the back of the dollar bill over the pyramid is a symbol of Nimrod. You see. They knew that the elders used to use the pyramids to travel intergalactically. They knew that. They know how all the pyramids are hooked up magnetically a perfect distance apart. They know that what you refer to as a Bermuda Triangle is really a pyramid sending up magnetic waves. They know these things. And they put the eye of Nimrod there. And that is their God. That's the one that was crucified. That's who was born December 25th. Isa Eb Miriam, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Where do they get this snow in Jerusalem stuff? I don't know. I mean, they made it up. Because they were talking about in the Caucasus Mountain where there's snow. There. Not in Bethlehem. You see? All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'd like to ask you, um, the Universal Brotherhood of Muslims, uh, that's in our book, Adam's Calendar, is that the same brotherhood that you were speaking about previously? The Brotherhood of the Elders? Yes. Yeah. The Brotherhood of the Elders are called the Brotherhoods of Peace. Darul Islam is one of the names of the Christian city. Right? If you open the book of Revelation to the seventh chapter, you see it? Yes. And after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. These are the four ships. Holding the what? Four winds. Holding the four winds of the earth that what? That the wind should not blow on the earth. That's right. Nor on any tree. Good. And I saw another angel ascending from the, from the east, having the seal of the living God, the creator. And he cried with a loud voice to four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our Creator in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. But notice what tribe they start off with. Number five. Many people say to me, is this Israel? And I say, no. Here's why. Because they don't start off with the first son of Israel. They start off with... And of Judah. And of Judah were sealed 12,000. Then they add, when you get to the seventh chapter, they add Levi. You see? And Levi was not one of the tribes, that was a priest tribe. They add Manasseh, the son of Joseph. You follow? Yeah. So it's, it's not talking about the tribes of Israel, it's talking about uh, people like the tribes of Israel. Now, in Hagar, you know, go back to the, uh, the tribes and read nine. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. This is after the thousand year period, when the righteous come forth after the 144,000 have been groomed in the city in heaven as you call it then our people 
will come together and look up, all of them, and what's going to happen? Be dead. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our Creator, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. That throne they're talking about is the sacred city. Go ahead. And all the angels stood around about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped the Lord, saying, Amen. Blessed and glory. Amen, meaning it's over. Amen. It's over. Go ahead. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be on and might be on to our our Creator forever and ever. Amen. No more devil power at this point. Go ahead. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? They want to know about you people. The elders ask, well, Who the heck are they? They're not angels. Who are they? And what's the answer? And they came there. Where they come from? How they get into the sacred city? Who are they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of, of Allah, and serve him day and night. In his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water. That's called Kothar, fountains of water in paradise. And Allah shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is what you're working for. The world. The destruction of this planet has been held back for you. Those people will get the seal of the Father in their head by consequence of prostration. Not those who will get the seal of the priest in their forehead or in their hand. But they'll tell you how will they down themselves. What the masters say they look like? In number nine? White robes. They know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. They're waiting for you. You understand that? No. And they'll take you to the throne when you sit in the midst of the righteous. And the very presence of the Most High will be there. You feel His presence in the land. And there'll be no more devil reign or devil power. It'll be over. This is what you're working for. Most people don't want to get there. Alright? You have been listening to The True Light. A question and answer session with Asaid Al-Imamisa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. Do you want to know the truth? Can you face the truth? Be sure to read the most dynamic books in history, authored by Asaid Al-Imamisa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi, on such subjects as, What is a Muslim? Where is the tabernacle of the Most High? Should Muslims observe the Sabbath? Was Christ really crucified? Who was the comforter? Now let us return to the true light with Asaid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. Remember, you are the light and you have the power over all things. Okay, in Exodus 34-33, um, I read, um, until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Um, 
I was wondering what's the purpose of this veil and if the veil will always be necessary for uh, women to wear. Um, and was it always necessary for women to wear? Because like in Egyptian art, I never see that with women wearing a veil. Well, you know why? No. What language are you reading? Hmm? What language are you reading the dictionary in? English. And who mostly wrote them? Pardon me? And who are usually the writers of those dictionaries in English? English people. Or Americans. Americans. And they're not going to have y'all reading the Bible where it says a woman should wear a veil because then, see this, let, look at this. Somewhere along the line, the Catholic Church tends to relate to the way Muslim women dress, all the way up until they cover their face. But somewhere along the line, in their doctrine of the Catholic Church, which is supposed to be the oldest church of the Christians, they seem to understood years ago that a woman's supposed to stay covered, head and everything. That's why they had the nuns dressed that way. Then another thing, inside of a Christian marriage, we have what? When you get ready to marry, what does a woman put on? White. Long white dress and a? Veil. Veil. If she doesn't wear white, that means she's not a? Virtuous woman like the 31st Proverbs. That means she gave up her virginity before she got married. Eh? So therefore, she would not wear a veil or a white robe. She could wear any color. Right? But they're telling you by that that the long white dress and the veil is a symbol of purity. Next question is, did I make this up? <laughs> but first let me ask you a question. The reason why... Moses had a veil is because Moses' brother, Harun, which we know as Aaron, was sanctioned by the Heavenly Father to become the high priest over all the children of Israel. And if you look up in any biblical dictionary at the dress of them, the so-called ancient rabbis, you see a tiflin. A tiflin is much like a shawl that they wore over their heads. If you see any Jews in their churches or synagogues today, you'll see the same thing. They wear it over their heads and it comes down past and has little lines of blue and little tassels on it. You know what I'm saying? That has been the garb of the ancient Israelites for centuries. So when Moses had finished talking to the children of Israel, he took his shawl, and threw it over his shoulder, which would be covering his face, or like you see an Arab sometimes from the desert, and they were definitely in the desert, take the shawl and wrap it around his face and turn and walk away. You've seen that before. Right? This has nothing to do with the Bible veil. The Bible veil, let's go back to Genesis, chapter 3. Verse 7. And if we read it, we'll see. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. That's not there. That just means begin all things with the illustrious name of Allah, the Yilda, the most merciful. And their eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And what did they do? Those did leaves together and made themselves aprons. Made an apron. They did not make a full garb. They made a short thing, an apron. 
An apron is something that does not go beyond the knee or above the breast. Now move to the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 21, and watch the Heavenly Father let her know that a short dress is improper dress. The garb of the veil is something that the Almighty Creator of the heaven and earth is going to make them put on. Watch it. Turn and read that. 24, you said? Nope. Chapter 3, verse 21. Oh. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. I understand that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, here we see that they had taken upon themselves to dress a specific way, which was identified as an apron, partial, and then the Almighty made them cloaks of skin. A cloak is a total cover. You follow that? Mm -hmm. And cover them. So the veil started way back with Adam and Eve. Had nothing to do with Rasulullah Muhammad and the sections of the Holy Quran which identify with it. You see? Mm-hmm. But people have this tendency of trying to make people think that the wearing of the veil started in Islam and started with the Arab people and was a custom. And they are lying because it's not where it started. If you turn to Genesis 24, verse 64. 64? Yep. 2464 of Genesis. Uh-huh. We're going to see where Rebecca. We'll read it and see what we come up with. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the candle. Camel. Off the camel. <laughs> uh, for she had said unto the servant, What man is that? walketh in the field to meet us. And the servant had said, It is my master. Uh, so what did she do? Therefore, therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. You see? Mm-hmm. Now here we're talking about Rebecca. Way back in the Old Testament, during Abraham's time, this Rebecca was to become Isaac, one of Abraham's son's wife. Now, she belonged to the family of Abraham to his brother. And when she saw Isaac, which is one of her relatives, which they married back then, coming through the field, she knew he was a strange man to her. So what did she do? She covered herself. She covered her face. Now, to verify that the children of Israel did wear those veils, if you see in Isaiah 3, Isaiah 3, 18 to 23, It'll tell you also that all the Israelites at one time wore a veil. But because they transgressed against the law, subhanahu wa ta'ala, their veils and their tassels and their earrings and their nose rings were taken away. Now you read it and it says what? In the day the Lord will take away the bravery of thy, of thy tinkling ornaments about thy feet and their curls and their round ties like the moon, I mean their crescents, oh. their chains, their bracelets, mm-hmm. and their mufflers, and their bonnets, their headpieces, the children who took them off, mm-hmm. and the ornaments of their legs. Now you see the Jewish people wearing short skirts, and, and their headbands, 
right? Mm-hmm. And the tablets, they don't read the scriptures no more. Mm-hmm. And their earrings and their nose rings. Mm-hmm. And what else? And changeable suits of apparel. Oh, mm-hmm. And a mantle. And the what? Wimples and the crisping pins mm-hmm. and glasses and fine and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. The last thing they took away from Israel was the the veils. See, they stripped them because they transgressed against the Most High. The children of Israel have lost the right to wear all the stuff you see those guys on 42nd dressing. Stand down there with all that stuff on right here in Isaiah tells them they can't wear that no more. And the so-called Amorite Jew, the so-called Hasidic Jew. He knows that. His women wear a wig with a bald head. They don't wear the clothes no more. They don't wear the white. They don't wear the nose ring. They don't wear none of it. The only thing they retain the right to wear is the locks and the beard. And they've changed the color of their clothes from white to black, knowing that throughout Israel they wore shining white. Says it. You follow? Yes. Now, if we go to the Holy Quran, which, is what, which we should seal this with, the 24th chapter, the 31st verse, and read it. Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. 24:31. It says, and tell the faithful women that they are to lower their looks, their eyes, and guard their private parts and don't display their bodily ornaments except what appears thereof, and make them wear their face veils over and down their bosoms. In their translations, they have cut all of that up. As you read yours, read yours and see what it says. From the beginning. Yes, please. And say to the bleeding women that they cast down their looks and guard their private parts and do not display their ornaments except what appears what appears thereof and let them wear their head coverings over their bosoms. See how they did that? Yeah. They took out words. And out of it we get wa and pull. Say or tell Lil Mu'minati, those faithful women. You see that? Yabudna. Mm-hmm. That they are to Budna be pious. Lower the eyes. Don't be staring men in the eyes seductively is what it means. Lower men of a Hina. Lower their sight. Don't be, don't be lustful and aggressive towards men other than your own man, of course. All right? Well, your fuzna. That word is from al which means, and they are to protect or guard Buruja Hunna. All of their private parts, that's their bust, their vaginal, their, their shapes of their body, their Voluptuousness is supposed to be something sacred and it should be protected. That word there is Uru Jahunna. You see it? Walla and do not, wa and la don't, walla and do not, yubdi. Don't make seen, don't display, don't allow, don't let it be seen. What? The name Jahunna. Any of their bodily Appearance, which means not only are they supposed to wear loose garments, but they're not supposed to let things be seen like a slit down the front where you can see what they refer to as uh, the shapes of their bust. Or stuff so tight that you can see, you know, it, not only don't show your body outright, 
But don't even let the, what do you call it in English? The image of it be seen, the shape. You know, like in other words, a person could be standing in front of you naked, or a person could be standing there with clothes on and so tight she might as well be naked. He's saying don't do either one of those things. All right? Illa, except for ma, what? Zahar. What already appears, which is necessary, which means, except for what appears, your hands and your feet. Those things, minha, except for what appears, like they say, zahara minha, except for what appears naturally, in other words. All right? I don't see that. That's because they have it as, except for what, how do they, how do they read it there? Uh, here it says, except to their husbands or their fathers. That's because they added husbands and fathers. The word husband, you know, zoage, and fathers, uh, apple, or, is not even in there. They just added that in to imply that you can, around your immediate family, you can expose your body. That's what it meant. But it's not in there literally. They just put that in so they can convey their point. Then it goes, well, yadribi, right? And that you should be forced to darrabba. See that? Darrabba is the Arabic word to hit or to strike, to hit somebody. And you should make it hit. Now, what are we talking about? There's a whole subject of the whole thing. Be humari hina. Hina on the end is hers. The word khimar means a face veil, but the root of it means a covering, kumra, to be covered or blocked or screened away. In the Holy Quran, in the 42nd chapter and the 51st verse, when Allah said, and Allah did not talk to normal human beings except by way of inspiration or from behind a barrier. And in Arabic, they got hijabah there. Hijab, the Sunni Muslim says that veil is not that. A hijab in the outer world is a screen or a curtain or something of that nature. This thing we're talking about is called khimar or khumra. When they say a person is intoxicated, they say he's drunk khumra. Something that has blocked his mind to the point where he can't function. So there they have veils, meaning now something is, comes over hit your bosom and down and cover your face, it has got to cover your whole face. No such thing as partial. You see, if it comes over your head and down and hits your bosom, as it's going to say here, because it says Allah, over, the next word, over, or they say on, right? To you behina, their bosoms, their breasts, their things, saying come over, down, and strike their bosoms. They are evading this reality. But yet, when you look in the Far East, you see the women of the desert who have not been educated or indoctrinated by Western world still wearing. The Bush women still wearing. You can get any magazine from Geographic and fumble through it, and you see they say, this is Algeria. In the desert, you see those women with their veil on. When a man's pointing the camera, you see them trying to cover their face, just like we showed you in the books of Genesis. So the dress of face covering is a law that was given to us at Adam and Eve's time, 
not with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, not with the Prophet Abraham sallallahu alayhi wasallam or Moses, but all of them had to live by it. In fact, even Mary, when the angel appeared to her, she pulled her covering over her. And he said, Hail Mary, thou have been chosen above women in the world. She saw an angel as a man and covered herself from him also. Screened herself, as they say. Okay? So that veil is a law. There's no getting around it. Okay. It's a known fact in Islam. The angel Gabriel, Salaam alaikum wa rahmatullah, came to Rasulullah Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the cave and said to Muhammad, Ikra. Wa Muhammad, Utala, Ya Jibrael, Ma'ana Bikariyan. Wa Jibrael, Utala, Ayden, Muhammad, Ikra. Muhammad قال مرتانية يا جبرائيل ما أنا بطارين he said Muhammad read he said Jibrael I am not a reader <laughs> Muhammad read he says Jibrael I am not a reader <laughs> what is he asking this man what is this extraterrestrial being asking of this man A very simple statement, right? What is Muhammad saying? I'm not a reader. What does it mean he's not a reader? He does not know how to read. That's right. Of my own, I cannot do anything. So the angel says to him, which is now the 96th chapter of the Holy Quran, and it's going to be mathematically equated in a way that's unbelievable. Alayha tisata over it is 19. Jibrael says to Rasulullah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Begin all things in the illustrious name of Allah. He is the yield of the most merciful. It Rabbika Alladhi Khalaq. Read by way of using the name of Rabbika, your sustainer, Alladhi Hu Khalaqa, who created Khalaqal Insana Min Alaq. He created all forgetful creatures, insane, people, man, men, alak, from sperm gushing forth and dividing up. Ikra, Warabuka, Al Akram, and we like this, Muhammad, by way of your sustainer, who is Karam, who is so generous. Allahi Alama Bil Alam, he is which has Alama taught. Bil Qalam by using a quilt or a pen. Alamal insana malam ya'lam. It is who has taught you forgetful creatures what you could not on your own have learned. Those are the first five verses of the revelation that came to Rasulullah. He put the words in his mouth so that Muhammad would not speak of himself. He made sure that Muhammad just repeated exactly what was being said. So he had no opinions. And Muhammad oftentimes said, I can't say nothing that has not come from Allah Ta'ala throughout the Quran. Most Muslims translate the word ikra as recite, proclaim. The word ikra means read. Ikra bismi rabbi How do you know? 
You know because by the time it gets down to the fourth verse, it tells you, which taught by way of a pen. What do you do? When something is written with a pen, you read it. You don't recite it. You recite from your head. You orate from your heart. You read from something written. But only Sunnis keep saying, no, it means recite. That's the devil leading them away from the true meaning. Because they don't want them to know that Muhammad was asked to read the Torah and the Injil before he revealed this Quran. And the Holy Quran in the second chapter supports that to the letter when we get to Surah Al-Baqarah when it tells you about what was sent down to you, Muhammad, and what was sent down from before you, Muhammad, when it says in the fourth verse of the second chapter, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَالَّذِينَ And those who يُؤْمِنُونَ they believe بِمَا بَعْوَيْ أُنزِلَ what was sent down Ilaika to you, Muhammad, Wama Unzila Min Kabulika, and what was sent down before you, Muhammad. Yet you have Muslims all across this country being taught and misinformed by Muslims from overseas who are trying to confuse them into not accepting all of the scriptures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This scripture tells you that this is plain and true, that these verses are clear, and it's telling them right there to watch out for translations and distortions of the Quran, because it says like in the 12th chapter of the Holy Quran, Surah Yusuf, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alif Lam Ra. Tilka al-ayatul kitabu mubin. You see that? Alif Lam Ra. Alif, symbol of Allah Ta'ala. Lam, Layla to Qadri. The night in which he revealed the revelations to Ra. Al-Rasulullah Muhammad Alif Lam Ra Tilka That Not this Tilka That verse That sign Tilka Ayatu That sign Al-Kitabu Mubin The scripture is Mubin Manifests things and makes them clear In Surely we, Allah and the help of His angelic hosts, did what? And then sent it, the Quran, and then Quran and Arabian la'allakum. We have sent it, this Quran, as an Arabic reading. In order for you to be able to make proper decisions, to be able to understand. But it told you right there, right here in the 12th chapter of the Holy Quran, in the first two verses, that we sent it down for you in Arabic. 
but that you'd understand. And I keep telling you, go to your imam and ask him, do you speak Arabic? Do you understand the language of the scripture? Or are you just talking off the top of your head? <laughs> خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم صدق الله العظيم ربنا Radio, a happy seven-year anniversary. The senior Nathan Collins from Chicago, Illinois. 
California with WGAG Radio. Happy seven years and many more. I'm a prestige bitch.
I'm cooler with my peace at the Don Nicoleone after party. Come through and chat it up with us anytime. Meet up with the brain trust. Come listen to some good music. Get caught up in some good conversation. You may even catch a building session from time to time. Learn something new. Get yourself inspired. What you gotta do, you have to go to www.powtalk.com. Search Don Nicoleone the after party. And there you are. And here we go. Now, welcome back to the man of the hour. What about Minister Falcon? What's he doing now? Is he teaching or what? Right now, he's not a teacher. He's not doing nothing. He's not a teacher. He's a lecturer. There's a big difference between a teacher and a lecturer. Minister Louis Farrakhan just takes things that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was teaching and lectures about them. And there's a difference when you sit down and set up an Arabic school and a Quranic school and a scripture school and you start to teach people something. That's totally different than going to a college forum, standing up and talking about economics and how black people got to work together and how much money we got to raise to do this. That's not teaching, that's lecturing. So Mr. Farrakhan is a very good lecturer. He's just not a teacher. He was a student of a good teacher, Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Because I listened to him talk, and after an hour of listening to him talk, I realized that he didn't say anything. All he was doing was elaborating on things that happened. I think, like, he's a nice brother, he's a good speaker, he means well, but he's just not a teacher. Black people now want to be taught. They don't want to be just spoken to. They want to learn something now. They want to clear the smoke. So what is his purpose? You have to ask him that. <laughs> you can't ask me what is the of fire concert. You have to go to him and ask him that. You're saying you can't serve two masters. What I see, I'm in that predicament. Here I am. I work for this man. But in reality, what I'm trying to do is, you know, save up. Get, get myself something. Because, like you say, time's going to come and he's going to look at me and get tired of seeing me reading something that goes totally against his beliefs. He's going to get tired of me and say, okay, that's enough. Don't fear that. Because if that was not the case, why did Jesus talk in parables? Jesus talked in parables because there was times when he just had to say things that he only wanted certain people to understand. So he compromised at times. See, even the Messiah himself had to compromise. And he talked in parables because he could have just as well talked straight out. Like I have a quote. Let me see. Let's take Matthews, right? And turn to the 22nd chapter. What verse? If I don't give you a verse, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. You should know me by now, Paul <laughs> And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again by parables. Here it is. Jesus is getting ready to give some people a parable. Now watch. Go ahead. And said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fartlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, 
both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, them into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I stop. A very common quote in that, the 14th verse. Many are called, and few are chosen. Every Christian uses that quote. You heard that quote before? Now, now there's a whole big story that preceded that from 22.1 all the way to 22.14. Now, if I turn around and ask somebody, what is Jesus talking about here? What is this parable about? What would you say? I have to read it over and... Uh, well, let's read it again. Let's see if we can find out. What parable is he teaching here? Go ahead. And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again by parables and said... The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. What does that mean? I, I understand what he's saying now. He's saying that, um, basically, in plain words, he's saying, hey, I'm asking you to come, and you're saying... Yeah, I'll answer it eventually. Right, right. The point I'm trying to make is, did Jesus compromise as far as he spoke in parables here for certain people? You know who he was speaking for? He was speaking for people here who understood the scripture. Anybody who was not one of his fathers or not one of the Pharisees or Sanhedrin who didn't study the scripture will never catch what this parable is talking about. The answer to the parable is found in Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my creator. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Notice he acknowledges the dress of a bride and a bridegroom as a symbol of salvation, as a symbol of purity, righteousness, all right? And in this parable, the whole thing is that they speak of the kingdom. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. The kingdom of heaven is what's mentioned in the books of Revelation 21 and 22, coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for Christ, you see? They're speaking about the dress of a bride, first of all. What do brides wear? White. Long white robes. Even in America where they became Christians, they wear this. Long white robes and a face veil. This is a traditional dress of a bride in America, correct? No. And the husband wears a white tuxedo, a typical dress. So the bridegroom here, mentioned in 22, this whole chapter is all talking about how people do not want to put on their white robes and how they will be thrust into, even though they're going to come on the last day, they're going to be thrust into darkness. Now, read it again and you see it. He likened, first of all, the kingdom of heaven to this king. So that's the kingdom of heaven they talk about. If you don't read the first two, like a lot of Christian preachers, and start at three, four, and five, you think they're talking about a real king. When they're not, they're talking about a kingdom of heaven. Now, go ahead. And he sent forth his servants and called them that were bidden to the wedding. And they and would they, not come. And they didn't come. You all are being told to come home, put on your white, and you're not coming. People who are worthy of it are not coming. Go ahead. And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fartlings are killed. 
and all things are ready. Come on to the marriage. And you'll start to think this is really a marriage. If you don't realize what verse 2 is talking about, it's a symbolic of their heaven. It's a symbolic of the kingdom of heaven. And it's symbolic of people who were supposed to be worthy, who missed it the first time. The first time when Anwilaj Muhammad came and beckoned them to come into the kingdom of heaven and they rejected. Now he's saying again, here we are again calling you to come into the kingdom of heaven. Watch it happen. Number five. But they made light of it. They don't make a joke out of coming home and putting on your wife. One day I'll be in my wife. I have to find more confirmation. We show you all through the scriptures over and over again about wife, about your jealousy, about your dress to the bride. You say one day, one day, you make light of it. And? And went their ways. Go ahead. One, one to, to their. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. That's your job you're talking about. I got to take care of myself and my family. I got to finish school. I got to go do this. I'm going to go get my own land and do my own thing. Why should I move in there? I can get my own land and build my own farm and do my own they tell you about that. Go ahead. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Go ahead. But when the king heard of the, thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies. Now remember, the king is who? The king is symbolic of heaven. Mm -hmm. The white man, now when you go out and work amongst them, they are called the remnant. And they do what? That's number six. Okay. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. This is what they'll do to you. They will kill you. They are killing us. They kill in Vietnam. They kill in Iran. They kill in Iraq. They kill in Syria. They kill in Sudan. They killed in Ethiopia. They killed to Ghana. They kill in Nigeria. They kill in South Africa. They kill us. We still worship and praise them and work for them. Still make them rich. What else did he say? But when the king heard thereof. And remember, the king is heaven. That's what number two teaches. The king is heaven. Go ahead. He was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers. That's the angels who come forth from heaven. Mentioned in Revelation 22, again. Because they're talking about the kingdom. Remember, this. see I'm saying uh, how when you read the Bible, if you don't follow, you can miss what they're talking about. If you don't read number two, you don't know that they're really talking about heaven and, and angels. You think they're talking about men's armies and how these armies kill. They killed the wicked. Go ahead. And burned up their city. And it tells you we no longer destroy the world by water, but more over by fire. Fire. They're talking about judgment day here. That the angels are going to come down from heaven with fire and destroy the wicked city of Babylon. Go ahead. Then says he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Then the angels say, okay, so now that we've stopped the devil, come on into the tabernacle of the Most High. Get ready for the wedding. And what do y'all say? Go ye therefore into the highways. And as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So I take off my white robe, I become Dr. York, and I go into the street to try to reach people. And try to bring them home to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because y'all are coming to me, listening, and still not coming home. Then you complain about that. Why is he Dr. York? Why ain't you in the mosque? One time I was out in a club, and a guy walked up to me and said, uh, aren't you Imam I said, yes. He said, uh, why are you in this club? I said, I'm here with you. <laughs> What am I here for? What are you in here for? I'm in here for you. <laughs> he said, oh. Walked with a real dumb look on his face. He just said, oh, oh. You know that sound Negroes make to get confused? Oh, oh. <laughs> Go ahead. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found. Our brothers in the trains and the buses and the schools walking the streets, they're doing everything to go out to get you. Go ahead. Both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a certain man, saw there a man which had not 
on a wedding garment. You know, people sitting in that room right now know you know you're supposed to have on white. You understand? You know it. You know right from wrong now. All right. What does it say about him? And he says unto him, Friend, how canst thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Why aren't y'all dressed right when y'all know it? So I got sisters I see sitting out there that's been here, coming here for years. Still ain't putting on their white. Still ain't putting on their veil. Why? This is what the heavenly is talking about. Why? Go ahead. And he was speechless. Because there's no answer when we ask you that, right? Well, I, 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 I'm not ready yet. But I have people say, hey, Mom, I don't have a jello beer. I said, outside, they tell them, I said, give them a jello beer. They wear it twice, then they take the jello beer off. They are full of it. Go ahead. Then says the king to the servants. Remember, the king is heaven. Keep that in mind now. Go ahead. Find him hand and foot and take him away uh-huh. and cast him into the outer darkness. That's what happened. This is heaven rejecting people because they reject the preparation for the supper of the wedding of the Lamb. Bread. There shall be weeping and gashing of teeth. Doesn't that sound like Matthew 24 again? No. Yes. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now you understand <laughs> what that little phrase, many are called and few are chosen. Many people get it turned on to the light, but they don't want to take off their traditional clothes and garb themselves in righteousness. The first thing they told Muhammad is to rise up and purify your garment. You had to stop wearing the garb of the Meccans and put on white. And whatever they know, so funny, when the so-called Arabs made a movie called Muhammad, you ever heard that movie, Muhammad Rasulullah? They always showed you his followers dressed in all white. Throughout the movie, all the people that opposed them from the different tribes of the Croatia and everything had on multicolors. Now, they got scholars from different parts of the Arab world to come to do the script for that movie, Muhammad Rasulullah. And a lot of Muslims rejected the movie because they said they were going to depict an image of Rasulullah. They were so caught up on such tribute things, they didn't see that when they all got together on a subject, they came out with the followers of Muhammad all wore long white robes. Now you go to Saudi Arabia, they got on gray, gray jupa or jalabiyah. They got on green ones. Egypt, they got on plaid ones. Sudan, the sisters are wearing yellows and orange and speckles. And, but when they all came together on that movie, they all had enough sense to see that back in Muhammad's time they wore white. Then they say they follow the example of Muhammad, and you go to a Sunni Muslim mosque for prayer, and everybody got on different colors. So when they cast you into triple darkness on the day of judgment, because then you won't be allowed into the kingdom, turn to Revelation. Now what chapter were we just reading? 22 in Matthew. Now, that chapter 22 of Matthew is mathematically. Go to 21 of Revelation. Because 22 <clears throat> is the end of the world. That's the last book of Revelation. Go ahead. What do you read? I've read it a thousand times. It tells you about a new heaven coming down. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down from Allah, out of heaven. That's what Matthew 22 is talking about, this kingdom. Go ahead. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See the same words? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Go to Isaiah 62.5. It'll talk about the 144,000 and what they must be inside this new kingdom of heaven. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall they sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy creator rejoice over thee. <laughs> See how the scriptures all link right back in? Um, 
We told you that the 144,000 are going to have to be virgins, not defiled by the harlot. Have not drunk of the wrath of the fornications of the harlot. We got to raise those kids that way. You can't do that outside. You're a young man with a happy business, and if things are going right, what happens when your wife has kids and you got them out in the world? And they get tempted by the delicacies of this harlot of the book of 18. And you've corrupted their life because you have an opportunity to make your children pure. Stop thinking so much about yourselves and what you want and start thinking about the future of our world. Because it's in your hands. The Arabs can't do nothing. They want a modern eye. They want more modern cars and technology in Arabia and Sudan and Egypt. They don't want Islam. They don't want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't want to worship. They want discotheques and new movies and modern hotels and all kinds of things like that. They have turned away from the path of Allah. It's in your hands to revive it. And you're messing around stalling while time is running out. Read on. Back of Revelations? Yes, 21. Mm-hmm. It should be at verse 3. Right. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle belongs with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and Allah himself shall be with them and be their creator. And Allah shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his creator, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven veils, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. See how it goes right back to the same thing? It keeps repeating itself. So it tells you it's the marriage is about, but yet you'll still, you'll come to the marriage, you'll come to the classes, and still refuse to put on your wife. Come unprepared to the wedding. Knowing better, jump from that to Revelation 22, the end of the world. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. In Islam, we call this kawthar. Multiple times through the Quran, Allah Ta'ala speaks about a country in paradise under which beneath flows rivers. So the Quran begins to explain these rivers when the Bible stops here. See, this is the end of the Bible. And that's how you know the Quran was a continuation. Because in the Quran, whenever it describes paradise, it picks up this philosophy. It picks up this doctrine, this fact. And make it clear. Go ahead. Clear as crystal. The crystal? Go ahead. Proceeding out of the throne of Allah and... That's right out the Quran. And of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yield her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of Allah and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no, <clears throat> no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the creed of Allah giveth them light, 
and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord of the Holy Prophet, the Lord the creator of the Holy Prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things. Please correct, stop right there. Not correct, I want to point out something. Make note that in this last chapter of Revelation, they're talking about the Lamb in number one. And then by the time they get down to number six, they say, His Holy Prophets. Right? No. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, none of these men were prophets. It's not talking about what they came out to teach. They're talking about what the prophets, Muhammad, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, David, Solomon, Lot, with these men, Jacob, Ishmael, what they were teaching. Repeat that one again. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord, our creator of the holy prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come, shortly be done. Now stop and go back to Revelation chapter 1 so we can find out about this statement. After the prophethood is finished, the last thing to come to man will be an angel. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which the Lord gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. You see, that's the exact same thing what's in the first book of the Revelation. It's the exact same verse that's in the last book of the Revelation. To show man that nothing has been taken away from this. Nothing has been removed from this. This final revelation for Jesus. Go ahead. Hey. Number seven. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed he that keepeth the saying of the prophecies of this book. You see? Not the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not of Corinthians and Galatians. But of this book, the book of Revelation. And they you know they do it, number seven, the first line. Does anybody have a, a Bible with two colors in it? You know the red and black lettering? Does anybody in there have it? Anybody have a King James Version? You notice that the first thing, behold, I come quickly, is in red. And they say that all those things said in red come from Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. Right? Uh-huh. Right there then, when he said, behold, I come quickly, he's talking. Then he said, blessed is he that keepeth the saying of what? Of this book. Not of Matthew, of Mark, book. Luke, and John, and Galatians, and Hebrews, all the books that they made up after that. Jesus is telling people to keep the prophecies of the book of Revelations, the Injil, his book. How do you know it's his book? Revelation chapter 1 tells you it's his book. Read it. This is the revelation of Jesus the Messiah, which the Lord gave unto him to show unto his people or his servants things which must shortly come to pass, right? Uh-huh. And sent it in. Signified it by, by an angel. Right here, repeats it. And he said unto me, these things are faithful and true, and the sustainer of law of the holy prophet sent his angel to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Confirming it. Then he said, Behold, I come quickly. Why? Because Islam believes that in the latter day, the Messiah Jesus would return. They acknowledge it throughout their hadith. If you ask any Muslim from any part of the world, they say yes. Jesus is going to return, the Messiah and the world. First the Mahdi would come, and then the Messiah. Well, the Mahdi, Muhammad Ahmed, has already come into Sudan in the 18th century, 1845 to 1888. He's already been here. And Islam and the Islamic world knows the Messiah is coming. Well, Jesus said right there, I'll come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecies of this book. 
Not of any other book there. Only the Injil does the Quran mention. It doesn't mention nothing about the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go ahead. What else? And I, John, saw these things and, and heard them. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Now, not Jesus. John was supposed to believe. This is John, one of Jesus' disciples. He was supposed to believe that no one should be worshipped but Jesus, according to them, right? No. Yet, he fell at the angel's feet to worship him. That could not have been a part of their doctrine back then, <laughs> to worship Jesus. That couldn't have been otherwise. John, receiving the revelation for Jesus, was so disobedient that he fell at the feet of an angel to worship him. He didn't know he couldn't do that. He was told only to worship Jesus. No way. You can't get to heaven except by Jesus. He didn't know the difference. Between Jesus and his angel? Of course he did. This angel walked him through the revelation and showed him Jesus in his glory. So he knew the difference when he fell down the worship of an angel. So that was not a part of Christian doctrine back then. All that doctrine you got today is Paul's stuff. From the fake Christ, bar Jesus that they worship. Go ahead. Then says he unto me, See thou do it not. Meaning, don't worship me. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets. And of them which keep the saying of he this said, There's an angel telling him that I am a human being and of the lineage of the prophets. Now that's a strange angel, isn't it? Most angels come straight from heaven. This angel tells this man, John, that I am of the prophets. I am from the family line of the prophets. I am your fellow servant. I am a Muslim too. I have to pray too. Don't worship me. I know the incident happened. I saw it. Go ahead. And of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship Allah. Which book? Revelation. Oh, oh, I thought you meant Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, this is a single. Don't say to keep the property of those books. Go ahead. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecies of this book. Don't hide the, the meaning of this book, the book of Revelation. He keeps telling you the last book, but what book to follow? Go ahead. For the time is at hand. Okay. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And I showed you back in Isaiah, righteous is putting on that garb. Putting on that garb of righteousness. That's what it says. Go ahead. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the now, tree of life. Now, here Jesus is saying, he was here at the beginning and he'll be here at the end. But then he ends up by saying in 14, not blessed are they that do my commandments. Blessed are they that do his commandments. His commandments. He's still giving honor to the Heavenly Father, even in the last book of Revelation. He didn't say, blessed are they who do my will, blessed are they who praise me, blessed are they who get to heaven by me. He said, blessed are they that do his, meaning Allah, who subhanahu wa ta'ala, the heavenly father's commandments. What commandments? The commandments of the scriptures. Go ahead. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gate. Now what's so important about the tree of life? Go back to Genesis. We'll see what's so important about the tree of life. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, uh -huh. verse 21. 
Unto Adam also and to his wife did Allah make coats of skins and clothed them. The importance of clothes and having their bodies covered again is here. And then what he said? And Allah said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. Now that the man has violated the laws of heaven and betook of the fruit, he has become like one of us, what? To know good and evil. He knows right and wrong. And now at least he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So what is the tree of life a symbol of? Life everlasting. Revelation 22, 14 tells you that that tree of life will give you eternal life. You will live forever. Because man has now got willpower and he is doing evil, put him out of his garden so he doesn't be taken of this tree and live forever. Go all the way back to Revelation 22, 14 and let's see what they say. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. So now in being obedient to the commandments and following the prophecies of this book, what is he giving us back? He's giving us back right to the tree of life. Giving us that right to eternal life, to live forever, the Bible teaches. Go ahead. And many enter in through the gates into the city. What city? Christmas. The tabernacle of the Most High. He didn't say, sit there and wait for something to come out of heaven. He told you to walk into these gates, come inside the city. <laughs> Go ahead. For without are dogs. That's right. And sorcerers. You listen hard enough, you hear bars in this neighborhood. Sorcerers just means devil worship and demonology, the pentagram, all kind of satanic worship. If you don't believe me, get off in West Forth and walk around the village one day. You see devil worshipers, proud of it. All your rock groups and hot metal groups and... Go ahead. And whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever lovers... Poor Catholics don't know they're idol worshipers, you know. The average Mohammedan Muslim doesn't know they're an idol worshiper. They don't know they're worshiping Muhammad. They just added his name in every prayer and every door and everything they do. They don't know they're worshiping him. They're the idlers. They're going to hell too. They just call themselves Muslims. Go ahead. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And that's what we're here. Not in the synagogues no more. Because the, the synagogues was over in Judea. Not over there no more. We're over here. In the book of St. John, chapter 16, verse 1, he says that his disciples back then are going to be put out of the synagogue. Right? No. But over here, Jesus said, I sent my angel to testify in the churches. I'm coming to you Christian people who are inside churches, worshiping statues and idols and demons and thinking you're worshiping the Heavenly Father. I'm reaching in the churches to pull you out. What does it say? I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. That's because they say that he had prevailed because no one was worthy to open the seal. They, what they say? The root of David prevailed to open and loose the seal thereof. That matches Daniel's also. Go ahead. And the spirit and the bride say, come. What are we talking about again? A bride and the dress of 144,000, the cloak that the Lord put on him back in Genesis. The wearing of the white, covering the body up, the woman with the veil like she's prepared for the wedding, getting ready for the new city to come down on them. What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Say the first couple of verses of the Lord's Prayer. I will follow on heaven, holy is thy name. Go ahead. Thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be kingdom done. come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. He said the kingdom of heaven was going to come down to earth for you. And he's telling you how to look when it comes. Be prepared, he says. Be adorned like a bride. Oh, how does a bride dress? Long white dress, white veil. 
That's the symbol all over the whole world. Ain't got nothing to do with religion. The Buddhists do that. Go ahead. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, Allah shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, that's what John said who was guided by the angel, Mikhail, right up to the churches of the present day. They're talking about what Paul said, and what Paul said, and what Paul said, and they're adding to the book. They're adding to this book. Jesus said, get your knowledge out of this book, out of the book of Revelations about him. His book, the book, not the book, not the disciples, the prophets, the prophecies. He said he did not come to change the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. Not alter it, not modernize it, not change it. Men are altering it. You got these fake preachers and teachers, these antichrists, who are going around in Jesus' name, like he said they were, preaching in his name. You got Muslims going out preaching in Muhammad's name, and they're the biggest demons in the world. Cigarettes smoking, they're not dressed in the, the garb of a bride. Go ahead. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, Allah shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written. If they take your name out of the book of life, which is a link to the tree of life, you do not have eternal life. When death comes to you, you will die. You will not be transformed into a spiritual being. You will not be made back into the form of an angel. Go ahead. He which testifies these things Surely I come quickly. Amen. That's the end of the book. Now they add a little chapter. So even come. so, come Lord. Now this is not Jesus, see? Because Jesus just ended and said, Amen. Um, and then someone did exactly what he said don't do. They said, well, come on, Lord. And that's what preachers do. They quote the Bible, then they add their opinion. The Bible just says, Amen. Then they said, even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. They added, and they put another amen. They added another verse. Two amens in one book. Jesus said, don't add to the book. Don't add to the prophecy. And in the end of the same book, what did they do? Add another verse. So, all of those men have been cut away from the tree of life. Don't be looking for Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John in heaven because you're not going to see them. And Paul is in hell already. So you ain't going to worry about him. Now, what's the next chapter of this book? Quran. I mean, what's the next chapter? Revelation. Is there Revelation 23 here? No. So the book ended, right? Right. And in the last chapter, he told us what books to rely on, which is the book, this book, this prophecy, this book, this prophecy, the prophet, not my disciples, not my apostles, this book, this prophecy, the book, the prophecy. But men, right after this, made their own books, their own prophets, their own disciples, their own apostles, and have deceived the whole world in the name of Jesus Christ. They went out into the world and deceived everybody using Christ's name. And then when that comforter did come, who Jesus said he would send, which was Muhammad, they didn't accept the Ahmed. Jesus said, I will send a comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. He said, even the Holy Spirit. Look at St. John chapter 15, the last verse. Because people just be talking. 
15 or 16? The last verse is 15. Last verse in 15. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Now go back and read 26. But when the Comforter is come, okay. whom I will send unto you from the Father, what's the word? Even the Spirit of truth. Even. The Comforter is not the Holy Spirit. He will be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Even the Holy Spirit. Or even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father. So just like when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit proceeded out of heaven and came down upon him and he became anointed as a Savior to the world, thus this other comforter will also have say in the Quran in the Surah Al-Laylatul Qadri. What does it teach us? Tanazalu. The angels came down. Malaikati waruhu. All the angels came down from heaven that night. And that what it teaches in the night of power of the Quran. So it says, and Aruhu was there. Who is Aruhu? The Holy Spirit. Ruhu Qudus, they call it. So Muhammad himself was the Ahmed or the Comforter. And he too had the Holy Spirit come down to him on the 19th night of the month of Ramadan. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the Comforter that Jesus said. Read it again. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And Muhammad, wallahi, in the Quran, Jesus is mentioned more than any other prophet. Muslims don't say that, you know. I don't think most of them even know it. Jesus in the Quran is called the Word of Allah. He's called the Spirit of Allah. He's called the Messiah from Allah. <laughs> he spoke from the cradle. He will speak in youth and in old age. He performed miracles. He, he turned a bird into life, prepared a table of food for nothing. He was born a mother who conceived through the Holy Spirit, Blessed Mother Mary. Jesus is the only prophet in the whole Quran that glorified that much. The Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala glorified Jesus, glorified His holy name. One place they call him El Messiah. Other place they call him Isa, the Savior. They got his name glorified, the Messiah, the Savior. The Quran is glorifying these holy names like the prophecy said. And then it says, lastly what? And ye shall also, I'm sorry, and ye also shall bear witness. Stop. What did Muhammad come and tell us to take? Shahada. What do we say? I bear witness. <laughs> the first thing every Muslim says, I bear witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it. Is that what it says right there? Uh-huh. And ye shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. You know that Jesus is the Messiah. You know he is the Savior. Muslims try to play dumb to that. Then if you read number 16, of St. John's, which y'all can do on your own, it'll reiterate the whole story of coming up the comforter. Um, when you said uh, we should wear white, now, in my case, if I come to work in white, I have no more job. Plain and simple. The minute I show up, you're going to say, go. Well, let's see what Matthew chapter 6 says about that. It's going to talk about, it's going to speak about people worrying about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, I'm from where with are they going to be clothed? Go ahead. You know what I'm going to do you, right? Yeah, want me to... 
get that one pick up from there where it speaks to that? Or? Yeah, go to one where it speaks to that. Okay. This is me last one, Rain. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. See what you just said? If you start worrying about how you're going to feed yourself, that's where your heart's going to be. At your job, at your work, that's where 24, of uh, say Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one, he'll hold on to one of his, he'll hold on to something, like his job, and despise the other. And the next thing the white man tell you is you can't have off Friday to come to Juma, a Friday assembly. That's the next thing. You can't be off on Friday. And the Quran tells you that you must leave all work and come to the prayer on Friday. Then you have a choice between what Allah commands you to do and what the devil. And the Quran tells you, the devil said, I'm going to get them. I'm going to lie away because I'm going to make evil fair seeming to them. And I'm going to get all of them illal mukhlisina, except the mukhlisina, except the pure ones. Everybody else I'm going to get because I'm going to tempt them and they're going to fall. And they get us. He'll make us offers of money, wealth, success, all kind of things. Go ahead on. <clears throat> The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, that whole body shall be full of light. Stop looking from the two physical eyes and start looking from that one third eye, the single eye, the spiritual eye. When you start looking from the spiritual eye, then your body is full of the pure light. As long as you're looking from those physical eyes, you're only going to see things that you can see, hear, taste, smell, and feel. Material wealth, material gain, a better paint job, a better car, a better house, better looking clothes. If you look from the spiritual eye, the third eye, the single eye, your light will be on the inside. The body will become the temple, and you will furnish it with beautiful things from the scriptures. Go ahead. But if that eye be evil, that whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Allah and mammon. Mammon means wealth. Go ahead. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life. Don't think about your life. What ye shall eat. Where's your food going to come from? Or what you shall drink. Where are you going to get your drink from? Nor yet for your body. Right. What you should put on. Don't worry about your clothes. How are you going to get clothes? Is not the life more than meat? Isn't life eternal more than the food it's eating? And the body than raiment? And the purified body more than the garbs that you wear? Behold, behold, behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into bonds. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. You don't see no birds planting no food and going out with plows and digging them up, do you? But the heavenly Father provides for them. Go ahead. Are you not? Are you not much better than they? Because didn't He create you as a guardian over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that creepeth upon earth? Didn't the Bible say that? No. He provides for them, but man doesn't want to be provided for by Him. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto a stature? And even if you think you can do something to help yourself, <laughs> or you can change the course of nature, you can anyway. And why, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spend. What is this about? I like nice yellow outfits and plaid garbs. I like beautiful colored things. Why must I wear bland white? That's what he would think. Well, I mean, in Africa, we wore loud colors and pretty flowers. He said, what are you worried about? I gave the colors to the lilies of the field. What <laughs> about your raiment? Better put on white, stop jiving. 29. And yet I say unto you, 
that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Even Solomon, as rich as he was, and I don't care how many movies they depict him as wearing a bunch of colors, Solomon wore a plain white, white robe, robe and was one of the richest men in the whole world. You understand that? But he didn't have one of a bunch of plaids and golds today. He put on a robe for the priest. He put on a dress for the temple, but he wore white. 30. Wherefore, if the law so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He says he lets roses blossom and make them beautiful, make grass grow and make them beautiful just for a seasonal thing. You're not seasonal. Wouldn't if he loved them, wouldn't he even love you? Go ahead. Therefore, but he calls a little, he says, oh, oh you have little, little faith. Because we don't put our faith in the law, or Heavenly Father. We put our faith in our job, and in our career, and in our country, and our economic position, and our bank accounts, and all that. That's what he says. We don't have no faith in him. We have faith in, in, in ourselves, really. Go ahead. Therefore, take no thought, saying... What shall we eat? Like the brother said, where y'all get your food from? <laughs> Go ahead, and? Or, what shall we drink? Where y'all, I, I see there's a lot of people here. I don't know how you provide for all these people. <laughs> or, wherewith shall we be clothed? <laughs> for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. If you read the Bible about people in the book of Revelation, about the tabernacle and who's in the tabernacle and who's not in the tabernacle, and it says, give me a read and a rod to count. You know what you'll find out? It tells you right there that people who don't want to be in the temple have given themselves to Gentiles. Then it tells you right here that the Gentiles are the ones who seek all those things. I can't live in there, man. I can't live like this. i got to have what I feel like eating. I want to eat when I want to eat. I want to go do what I feel like doing. When you talk to people who have gossip, ain't that what they say? Man, the community, you can't do what you want to do. and You can't go home when you feel like going. Go ahead. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Allah knows what we need. He'll provide for us if we can. Go ahead. He'll tell you. But seek ye first the kingdom of Allah and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't start stacking money and accumulating wealth for morphs. It tells you right about the morphs and things. Stop worrying about that stuff. Enter the tabernacle, put your faith in Allah, and he'll provide for you. Everything else, he does it for every other creature. He does it for every other animal. He does it for everything he created. He provides. Man is making his own problems because he thinks he can provide for himself. Okay? All right. You've answered all my questions. Thank you. I have a question uh, concerning uh, uh, Nukar and um, Nakir. Go on. Yes, I'm a little confused about Mukar and Nakir. Mm -hmm. What what are they supposed to do? Okay, I don't have the answer to that question. What do you mean? What are they supposed to do? Okay, I don't All understand right. what these are. Two angelic beings right. that visit men in the grave. This is a, this is from the writings of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. These are the things that he taught that. When man passes on from this state to the next state, which is which commonly referred to as death, that there be two angels that will visit them when they're in the grave and ask them questions concerning Tawheed to see whether or not they can answer them. But that that's you know that's basically it. That's recorded on them. So um, who makes the final judgment uh, as to who who will go to heaven and hell? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Not, not the angel Israel. No, the angel Israel, or Israel is mainly the angel of death. He, he's the soul collector because he was there when man's body was shaped in the garden. From the dust of the ground, when Allah blew the spirit into man, and man became a living soul, Israel was that angel used to do that. So he will be there when each soul leaves the body. He will not make the decision as to who will go into paradise and who will go into hell. He has no, nothing to do with whatsoever. Like, like in the book of Revelation, at the end of it, when John tries to bow down at the feet of the angel Michael, he says to him what? Tells him not to bow down because I am your fellow servant in tribulations. In other words, on Yom al man and angel both will stand before Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Angels are not above men in the eyes of Allah. There's, um, there's a prophet um, who, who was teaching the prophet Elijah, and this prophet was um, living up in the mountains and uh, in the desert. So my question is, uh, who was this prophet? The prophet who was teaching Elijah. Right. Now you gotta, you gotta get that straight because we have Elia, Elijah, we have about five or six different men. Elijah. I know, but there's, there's more than one because Elijah taught somebody named Elias. And I'm saying, and when they translate these names, they all come out to be the same person. The prophet Elijah himself was what they refer to like a Nazarite. He belonged to the Nazarite type of doctrine, much like John the Baptist. Why John the Baptist was his second portion of the spirit. They call him Elijah, they call him Elia, they call him Elias. We find basically his story in the first book of Kings, right? And the second book of Kings. So that's why I say we have to know which one. There was, there was Elijah of the tribe of Benjamin. You know about him. That's found in the first Chronicles 8, 27. And in Matthew they talk about him. So I, it's very different. As to which Elijah. Elijah is a very touchy subject in the scripture. Believe me or not. He's one of those special, one of those special uh, prophets. <laughs> Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend, and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles, and on the Messiah, the anointed one, and on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio.